Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 29. Hear now the word of the Lord. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone, tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Being an introvert myself, I really enjoy those lonely places. Yesterday was a rare treat for me as the family was gone elsewhere and I was at home almost the whole day. And the only words I spoke to another human being was when I went for a walk and I said hi to somebody uh, coming down the road. It was kind of an eerie feeling, a strange feeling, uh, not to have the, the busyness of family life around me all the time. It can be difficult to find those lonely places when you're in a busy family. Life and ministry and family demands make it hard to find those places. I believe it was the first Mission Impossible movie where a couple of bigwigs were in a control room and something bad had gone down or something illegal and one of the bigwigs says to the other, is like, nobody should know about this. Well, the, the other guy looks over and he sees an airman at a console and he says, well, what about him? And uh, so the other bigwig says, I want him at a radar station in Alaska by the end of the day. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know, that doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> that could be really nice. Lonely places can be great places, life-giving places, places of quiet and solitude where maybe we could take a break from the busyness of life or all the voices and the crowds and the busyness that make it hard for us to hear God's voice. Jesus needed those lonely places too. You ever visit a lonely place? 
The Gospel of Mark, it takes us quickly through the life of Christ to get to the cross very quickly. He doesn't even tell us anything about Christmas, but he begins with John the Baptist in the desert and then with Jesus being baptized. And after Jesus was tempted in the desert and John was put in prison, in verses 14 and 15, it says that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, that the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's the preaching of Jesus. That's the message of Jesus. So Jesus calls his first disciples near the Sea of Galilee, and and they go to this small fishing village called Capernaum. It was the Sabbath, and Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. And of course, if you were here the last couple of Sundays, the, the people were amazed at his authority, and his preaching of the kingdom of God also attracted impure spirits. It says Jesus commanded the impure spirit, and it left the man. The people were amazed that Jesus had such authority and, and power that even the impure spirits obey him. That was a healing done in a church on a Sabbath to a man to free him from an impure spirit. Well, today's reading, the story begins about a healing done in an ordinary home to a woman who had a fever, a physical illness. We also read about healings that took place at the front door and along the way, along the road, healings of others who were sick or demon-possessed, physical and spiritual healings. The point, of course, I think that Mark is trying to get across to us is that Jesus has the power and authority to heal all sorts of illnesses and diseases in all kinds of environments, in all kinds of people, at a place and time of his choosing In Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near. The demons see it right away. Jesus has authority over the physical world of creation that we can see. And Jesus has authority and power over the spiritual realm, the things we cannot see, and those forces that attempt to control or manipulate us. So when Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue in Capernaum, they went to Simon's house where his mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And of course, I think I've told you before, the difference between in-laws and outlaws, of course, is that outlaws are wanted. Right? <laughs> Simon Peter's mother-in-law has a fever, and they immediately tell Jesus about it. And it says in verse 31, so they went to her Jesus went to her, took her hand, seized her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Almost immediately, almost without effort, Jesus heals her of her fever, and she was able to get up and offer good Middle Eastern hospitality. Now, it doesn't say anything about this woman or that she was some heroine or that uh, she had this great amount of faith. It doesn't say anything about her faith. Jesus healed her. And it wasn't about the amount of faith that she had. And the woman's response is very interesting, especially in light of what we read about the disciples. Her response of faith was this humble service, what she could do to serve others. The disciples were eager to get Jesus back in front of the crowds. It doesn't say anything that they even cared about the sick or were doing anything for her. I think the humble service of mom-in-law is supposed to be a good example for us to follow. As we follow Jesus, as we respond uh, in faith, as we humbly serve one another, 
in response to the healing that Jesus brought in our lives, whether physical or spiritual. So then in verse 32, we're taken to the evening of that day. It is after sunset, it says. Why does it say that? Well, because it's the end of the Sabbath day. The people were allowed to travel again. They were allowed to work again. So after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. In verse 33, it says, The whole town gathered at the front door, at Simon Peter's door. And now probably it wasn't a huge town, but still. Word had gotten about about this man who had authority and the power to heal and to cast out demons. And the demons knew who he was, the Holy One of God, the Son of God. Remember in the synagogue? So Jesus did not let them speak. Jesus has the power to silence the demons. He did not permit them to speak, verse 34. You see, already in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has moved from these private healings in a synagogue, in a home, to very public healings in the town of the townspeople, at the front door of a private residence. In fact, he moves from the town, that small fishing village of Capernaum, to all of Galilee in our reading today. After his baptism, Jesus' ministry is scaling up quickly here, going from small and private to large and public, from local to regional. But while he was still at mom-in-law's house, or Simon's house, he got up early the next morning, it says in verse 35, and while it was still dark, he went off to a solitary place, a lonely place, where he did what? He prayed, right? This shows us that Jesus indeed was human. He needed to connect with God the Father for prayer, for, in prayer for strength and wisdom and guidance and comfort Maybe that was just his normal morning activity. He got up and he prayed first thing he did. And if Jesus needed to get away and pray, what does that say about us, about you and me? It seems like he really wanted to be alone there that morning. You ever get up early in the morning before the kids get up, before the spouse gets up, just to be alone for once in your thoughts, your feelings, to pray, have quiet time with God? to read the scriptures, those could be precious times of devotion and communion with the Lord. And when Simon and the others finally found him, they interrupted Jesus praying. How do you like to be the disciples that interrupted Jesus while he prayed, right? Well, they interrupted him and said, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus is like, I know, that's why I'm out here getting away. <laughs> Jesus is popular now. Everyone in town knows what he can do. The disciples expect that Jesus would get up and he'd go back to the front door and he'd start healing again. But no, instead, Jesus wants to move on. He leaves town. And this is very interesting, I thought, that no one, I mean, not everyone, it will be healed that day. Not everybody got healed that day. Many in Jesus' day still had to continue to wrestle with their demons. They continued to still have to deal with their illness or maybe chronic pain, and maybe for a lifetime. Not everybody was healed that day. In verse 38, Jesus replies, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. Everyone is looking for him, but Jesus moves on now, because it's not just the needy and the desperate who see him now or know about him, but everyone's curious. Everyone wants to see a miracle. Everyone wants to see some fireworks from this Jesus miracle worker. But Jesus wants people to get the message. 
that the miracles point to. Popularity was not his priority. The social gospel was not his main priority either. Where he performed miracles, he also taught the kingdom of God. That's why he came. It was a word and deed ministry, a word and power ministry. Preaching the kingdom was priority. And it says in verse 39 that he traveled throughout Galilee doing what? Preaching in their synagogues, which also drove out demons. Wherever Jesus went, he proclaimed the kingdom. And when he proclaimed the kingdom of God being near, the demons were silenced and driven out. Jesus had power and authority over all kinds of sicknesses and spiritual forces. And he has that authority in every city, every land, synagogue, and home. That's what the gospel is showing us this morning, who Jesus is and the power and the authority that Jesus has. And beginning with verse 40, we learn of a man who has leprosy, that healing on the road, on the way. What is leprosy? Leprosy is a wasting skin disease. People with leprosy were shunned back then, isolated, had to live apart from everyone else. Religiously, they were considered unclean, uh, ceremonially unclean. They were the untouchables of the day. So you might understand when the man says, if you are willing, you can make me clean, because no one wanted to touch him. All Jesus had to do was say the word. But that's not the surprising thing here, is it? Verse 41, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. All he had to do was to say the word, but no, he reaches out his hand and he touches him. He touches the untouchable. And this makes Jesus unclean as well. Well, he said the word, I am willing, be clean. And immediately, immediately, again, Mark's favorite word, immediately, the leprosy left him. Jesus commands him not to tell anyone, but what does he do? Instead, he goes and tells everyone. And people came to Jesus from everywhere. Our passage ends in verse 45. People came to Jesus from everywhere. But what is this kingdom that Jesus is talking about? What are his signs and wonders, his miracles pointing to? I mean, can we even understand kingdom here in America, what a kingdom really is? In verse 14, Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, and he says the appropriate response is repentance, right? Repent and believe the good news. So there's something about the kingdom that exposes our sins, that unmasks evil, that causes demons to get uneasy. When, you see, when we cross borders uh, from one country into another, it's easy to see that we've entered into another kingdom, so to speak. The street signs may be different. The speed limits are different. There were different laws. In other words, someone else is in charge. Someone else is calling the shots in this land. When we enter a different country, it's obvious that we've changed dominions. But the kingdom Jesus talks about is different, isn't it? In the Lord's Prayer... He taught us to pray like this, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I think that this is a prayer for God's rule to be the law of the land, for God's rule to be the law of the land, that God would be the one calling the shots in our lives and in our world. In a kingdom, the king calls the shots. 
His will determines what happens. And you probably have your own little kingdoms too. Maybe in your home with the children, or maybe it's at work or in the office, on the job site, where, where you're the boss. You call the shots. Your will is done. Your little kingdom. Um, well, Jesus, in Jesus, the kingdom of God is happening right there in their midst. And that's what the Gospel of Mark is telling us. Of course, God's kingdom is not perfectly formed yet in this world broken by sin in our sinful world. There's still a lot of rebellion going on. But it's happening. It's growing. Like a mustard seed, it may start out small and look insignificant, but it grows into something impressive and expansive. The kingdom of God is not like the physical kingdom with borders, but it exists wherever God's will is done. Wherever God's will is done. The Apostle Paul in Romans 14, verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What are those things? Righteousness, right living, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're talking about kingdom values. Kingdom values. The kingdom happens when what God wants happens, when people obey God's will for their lives, and they live by the Spirit, when the fruit of the Spirit is practiced, when the gifts of the Spirit are being used to love and serve others. Where God's people pray, when we baptize our children, when we profess, when they profess their faith publicly and unashamed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the kingdom, God, kingdom of God comes when the Christian stands up and does what is right and good and doesn't just go along with the crowd or the friends following a broad way that leads to destruction, the easy way. It's where the will of Jesus is calling the shots when you respond to an insult inside you. It's the will of Jesus calling the shots when you use words to encourage someone or point others to Jesus or in your kind treatment to an immigrant or a homeless person. And then God's will is done just as it is in heaven. His kingdom comes. Then you can see it. And when you see the kingdom of God taking shape around you, you can be sure the anti-God and the anti-Christ powers and principalities will be unmasked and shown for who they are. Because light shines in the darkness, but darkness has not overcome it. And that unmasking may just happen within us, as the Spirit points things out inside of us. That's why repentance is an appropriate response to the presence of the kingdom in Christ before us. Yes, the demons we wrestle with may be of a different sort than what we see in others or that others have to deal with. Our demons may show themselves in certain temptations, like a temptation to cheat on our taxes, or to lie, or slander the person on the other side of the political fence, or to misrepresent someone, or to view pornography, or have an affair, or gossip, or angrily lash out in violence against someone. Oh, we have our demons too. It was St. Jerome who wrote about these spiritual fevers in relation to our passage today. Our fever of sin, but especially our fever of anger and rage. He spoke of Jesus healing all of our fevers, physical and spiritual. The hand of Jesus reaches out and seizes ours and lifts us out of our sin-soaked fever and restores us to life and spiritual health again. You see, when the kingdom of God draws near, all that is evil or impure within us starts to get spooked, and rightly so. 
And the right thing to do is to repent. Repentance. Changed life. Allow the light of Christ to heal us. To cast out those demons. And, the, and within that time of repentance and allowing Christ to heal us, we in turn follow Christ as a faithful disciple in humble service and gratitude for the deliverance. No matter what it is, Jesus heals all kinds of fevers, casts out all kinds of demons. He has the power, he has the the authority in the church and in our lives, on our job, at Capernaum, in all of Galilee, in Israel, in Samaria, and someone's front door, and on all of Michigan today too. Throughout this time in Capernaum, Jesus is teaching and healing and preaching about the kingdom, and he's praying Mark is showing us who Jesus is, fully human, fully divine, the unique presence of God with us. That's an epiphany for us of who Jesus is. But he's also showing us what a faithful discipleship can look like in the humble service of a mom-in-law, right? In the importance of solitude and prayer and having that quiet time, that alone time with God. In following God's will, Versus the popularity of going along with the crowds and doing what the crowds want. Or even what close friends want. The disciples wanted Jesus to go back. Jesus says, no, I'm going to go on to the next town. And of course, in the proclamation of the gospel leading to repentance and joy in the Holy Spirit. We see what faithful discipleship is. What it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Do you find a lonely place every once in a while? Or every day? Where do you go in order to get close to God, to focus on God, to read the scriptures without the distractions of devices or family obligations or work pressures? Where's your lonely place? It may not be as as far as a radar station in Alaska. It doesn't have to be that far. It could be life-giving for you. It could be just what you need right now. For God wants to bless you and challenge you and encourage you to grow in your your faith and your love and and service to others. So the kingdom of God is now. It's real, and we see it in the gospel good news of Jesus Christ and the effects of the gospel in our lives. When it is proclaimed, even today, evil is exposed, the demons are silenced, and God is glorified. I pray that may be so in every day of our lives. Would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, in humble prayer and service to you, we do bow our spirits. We submit our will to yours today. And we pray for your kingdom to come on earth and in our lives just as it is in heaven. We marvel at the power and majesty of your Son and our Lord Jesus. We thank you for your mercy and grace and for entering our lives and giving us the gift of eternal life in him. Lord, grant us the courage to speak up for the truth in a world in love with lies and conspiracy theories, to stand against evil and wicked powers that destroy and dehumanize, to be bold in our faith, in our witness, in our prayers. For we know you are with us, and your kingdom is present when we follow your ways. May your Holy Spirit protect us and empower us to love and serve you and others today and always. For this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.